Net Zero podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. Welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals and frameworks. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be presenting this episode. Um, A very warm welcome to you. We're hosting this series because since the UK government set its 2050 net zero emissions target into law last year, more and more businesses and other organisations are attempting to get of the legislative curve. They're strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero well before the national deadline. As such, Team ED is speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers that have set these targets to get insight into just how much work went into getting these targets running and what they consist of. So each of these episodes features one in-depth interview with a business or organisation that has committed to a net zero strategy. In the last episode, I spoke with planning and development consultancy Turley to explore how it achieved carbon neutrality, what its next emissions reductions plans are, and how it's engaging externally to amplify the impact of its climate ambition. This time around, it's the turn of Nespresso. The coffee giant recently unveiled an ambition to become a carbon-neutral business by 2022, accelerating its climate commitments in light of both COVID-19 and the fact that coffee supply chains are acutely exposed to environmental risk. Nespresso has been carbon-neutral across its Scope 1 and 2 emissions for a number of years, but these scopes collectively account for just 30% of its annual emissions. As such, the new target will help the company address the bulk of its emissions, which lie in Scope 3. But how is the company going to meet that target? What role does offsetting play? And how can the company continue to prioritise reductions? To find out, I spoke to Nespresso UK's Managing Director, Guillaume Chesneau. Without further ado, let's hear that conversation in full. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for having me, Sarah. No, thank you for for taking the time. I think we've mentioned that. Um, are, are you working remotely at the moment as well? Yes, I do. I do. I think the context uh, demands that we try to do our bit. So I guess and uh, working from home. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so how have you found working with the rest of the executive team and the sustainability team during this period? So we've we've had Julie on the podcast before from the sustainability and corporate comms. Um, team on earlier this year but I think this is the first time that we've we've spoken to you for this series. Yes look uh, and uh, I think um, the focus has been very much as it is always the case uh, Nespresso uh, to drive a sustainability uh, roadmap. It's uh, sustainability at Nespresso is a is a key element of our strategy and uh, for very good reasons because sustainability is the right thing to do. And we want to make sure that we do create um, some value back to uh, to the society and the environment in general. So 
the team uh, the team I have is very focused on that aspect. As a matter of fact, uh, as focused as I am, and uh, you're probably familiar with uh, um, the the approach that we have. That's called the Positive Cup. So Positive Cup is a uh, our sustainability roadmap, our strategy behind generating and creating shared value for uh, for the people and society as a business. Mm-hmm. So the responsibility of that, it sounds like it's quite embedded. It sits in in various different teams and not just with sustainability. Oh, very much so. So look, I think that if you were to consider uh, and if you were to talk to Nespresso employees and if you raise the sustainability aspects, everyone would be able to talk to you about it. And in a genuine way, because I think uh, we're very much a value-led uh, organization and uh, and the sustainability piece is very much part of this value aspect. Um, so it's not only uh, uh, pyramidal, it's not only at the top of the business, it's throughout. Mm-hmm. And, and to be perfectly frank, uh, when we recruit people, people talk to us proactively about this. So it's not only something that we want to drive, but uh, as a uh, very clearly, we, we understand that there's a, a burning issue, a burning platform in systemity all across the world. And naturally, every single people joining the business refer to that and want to find a way to contribute. And joining Nespresso, uh, considering the way we approach sustainability is, is something that people respond extremely well to it. So it's, a, it's one of the primary source of engagement with our people. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that that kind of approach makes it um, easier to communicate and keep work going throughout this, this period as well. Yes, I think, you know, we, we are doing it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and I think being focusing on something that is positive, and we all know that, you know, with COVID, uh, situation, uh, we all get a sense as to um, living downtown London, I see a lot less traffic. I don't see as many planes in the sky. And, and we all feel the, uh, clearly what life could be like with uh, uh, less uh, less CO2 emission and less, uh, less pollution. And I think that everyone is very clear with that and everyone has a role to play. And we are, as a business, uh, Nespresso, you're probably familiar with the fact that we've made some significant announcement back a couple of weeks ago around uh, being uh, net neutral, uh, CO2 net neutral by the end of 2022. Mm-hmm. So th- that is uh, quite a bold move, uh, but a, a move that we believe is the right one to do. Thing perspective, I think, Sarah, is that, mm-hmm. you know, this commitment originally, we wanted to do it by 2030, so in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, and we're, we've all seen uh, the documentaries around and and the well very clear I think around the urgency of the situation. And as a business globally, we decided to go uh, transfer from ten years into a little bit more than two years. So effectively reaching this uh, uh, net neutral uh, commitment by end of 2022, mm-hmm. which I think is right. And, and you know, linking back to what you said a bit earlier around uh, employee satisfaction, engagement, and and how we embed and and embark everyone behind this this uh, this value and this ambition. That was one of the most incredible news. Uh, the, you, the, the feedback from employees was just brilliant. Uh, and, and no doubt that everyone will really support this journey uh, from uh, our coffee specialist in the, the boutique uh, that we're asking now to use paperless options to, to do their work uh, up to uh, executive level where we have to make investment decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually that target that is going to be the primary focus of, of our call today because it is a big announcement and I'm sure it will be of interest to a lot of people um, who are listening and you've talked a bit about how the development of that ambition was sort of spread up um, in the context 
of this year, but what are some of the big things that will need to change in operations, processes, approaches to, to meet that new target? Yeah, look, so we have uh, effectively three pillars globally uh, and of course uh, different countries, uh, different approaches, but uh, speaking, generally speaking, for um, uh, carbon emission, we will start by reducing uh, the uh, emission of our non-Nespresso value chain. So we're talking here about product circularity. Uh, recycling is a very significant thing uh, for us. You, you're familiar with the fact that uh, Nespresso, you can island, and you, you spoke to Julie before that, uh, has been recycling for a number of years. As a matter of fact, we're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary of recycling. So recycling is a journey. We're not exactly entirely where we should be. We are recycling 36% of, of the capsules today with the capacity to recycle 100%. So we'll continue that journey and accelerate it. That's something very, very important to us. Um, the second pillar is uh, in setting with an espresso value chain. So, you know, the, the, the coffee is is quite an intense uh, an intense industry and effectively what we'd like to do is uh, uh, we're planning to do is to plant trees uh, in and in the surrounding coffee farms and um, it's it's a very important piece because it a of course uh, decreased the co2 emissions but uh, but also partially increase the quality of the coffee shade is super important for coffee quality and this is something that will uh, basically do uh, do uh, in parallel. So if, if we put things uh, in perspective, we have planted about 5 million trees since 2014 and will triple that effort in the next two years. So that is how we're going to really reach our setting uh, an espresso objective with the value chain. Mm -hmm. The third piece is, uh, is uh, offsetting because, you know, again, we need to accelerate. So from 2030, to 2022 uh, is a very significant change. And the only way we can do this is by, uh, you know, looking at offsetting initiatives. And by that, I mean, so gold standard, gold standard initiatives. Uh, so we are looking at uh, working with range of partners uh, and, and really project that uh, makes sense uh, in the value chain and in our industry. And uh, it's mainly supporting forest conservation, um, uh, find some uh, sustainable forest management initiatives, as well as uh, um, finding a way to uh, bring more clean energy within the farming community. So biogas, uh, use of coffee ground, etc. And I understand that Nespresso had already been carbon neutral against scopes one and two for several years and that offsetting was always a part of um, a part of that. So what have you learned from that process about making sure that you get offsetting right? I think that's a big debate that we're hearing a lot about recently. Yes, and I think that you're right. So Nespresso has been has been uh, neutral throughout its operations for, for a number of years now. And, and you know, that represents 30% uh, sorry, of, of the impact. 70% is remaining as what we need to really drive with, with this offsetting aspect. Now it's all linked to the quality, I think, of uh, of the uh, project that we'll uh, will uh, find. Um, it's it's not something that can be delivered in such a short period of time. We all understand that reducing emission to a zero is very complicated. Uh, the insetting is something that works very well, and this uh, it's quite also easy to to follow. But the mm -hmm. third one is more complicated, and again linked to the quality of the. Uh, project that we'll uh, we'll find, and the uh, uh, you know gold standard um, uh, certified initiatives is really what we're aiming at. 
going from what what needs to change in internally i think we touched a bit at the beginning um about communications and engagement and just how this whole conversation has evolved in the context of covid and we talked about how that is working internally with employees but i've noticed and i'm sure that anyone who's put their tv on recently has as well um that the nespresso advert that's on in the uk at the moment has a big focus on mm. ethics and environment caring for our coffee farmers um caring for our communities and, and things yeah. like that i'm sure we have a lot of listeners who are trying to develop sustainability related comms at the moment and trying to get the the balance right so do you have any any learnings or or top tips on on that piece of the strategy yeah look i i think the why is what matters uh, see i think that we're doing it because customer care and because it matters to them and it matters to us and rightly so uh, so and the, the communication aspect uh, has a number of uh, a number of um, angles the, the the first one is that we we want to show the our consumers that we are doing the right thing uh, and, and that is not uh, only a comms exercise as we discussed before there are there are years and years of uh, sustainability uh, initiatives from the nespresso uh, on nespresso roadmap uh, and there's there's too many to count but the latest one the commitment that we made is probably the one of the boldest uh, i think there's also an element of sensitization on how it can be done in the results uh, mm -hmm. So the communication you have there is one of them, but we have made an enormous amount of effort to communicate to our customers uh, around, for example, the circularity of, of the capsules. Uh, it is, uh, we do know that uh, Nespresso capsules consumed and uh, recycled is a very positive element and we all strongly believe it can have a positive impact on the environment, provided that they're recycled. And, and in order to do this, we actually have made a, a lot of campaigns. You spoke to Jimmy, uh, I believe, also as well on, the, on this, uh, on this uh, podcast uh, and uh, showing the Velosophy Initiative. Velosophy Initiative was made, uh, you know, making bike out of a recycled aluminium capsule. Yeah. Uh, that that seems that seems to be a, a small a small element, and it's true. And we're not trying to even sell the bikes. It's not 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 even the the point. The point is really to show our customers how recycling can be used and upcycling element, and how out of aluminium, which is indefinitely recyclable, and that is the reason why we choose this at Nespresso, can be used in a positive way for the environment. So there's a number of uh, a number of of blocks, if you if you say that you could see on television the the campaigns, but most importantly, the elements around public relation, around social media, etc., engaging with uh, this similarly uh, value-led organization and, and people to drive this ambition. And again, for me, the ambition, I'm really passionate about that. The ambition is doing what is right for our people and for the environment. We all have a share and a role to play as businesses to make this impact. Um, and uh, and we need to drive that uh, by way of senior level of investing. You were asking what what can be done. All of this costs money, obviously. Uh, Nespresso has spent more than 500 million Swiss francs uh, since 2014 on sustainability. That's a very significant ball commitment, um, and it's important to actually use this uh, this funds and and this uh, this approach to uh, to drive the uh, shared value that we've been uh, uh, all craving for. Well, I, I was going to say we're running out of time for this conversation, but I think there's no better note to end it on than that. So thank, thank you so much for your time once again. Pleasure. I'm really happy to have been part of, a, of the show. Thanks, Sarah, for having us. 
So thanks again to Guillaume from Nespresso UK there and Edie will be keeping a watchful eye on the company's next sustainability announcements. We usually only have the one interviewee for our Net Zero Business Covered podcasts, but for this episode we have a bonus conversation to bring you with Inspired Energy's Client Optimization Manager, Emma Hurd. Inspired Energy is hosting a masterclass package on Edie, spotlighting the role which energy data optimization can play in delivering against Net Zero strategies. This podcast section forms the latest part of that package, providing top tips on energy data collection, optimization, analysis and reporting. We're also hosting a webinar and downloadable report on ed.net if you would like to take a deeper dive into this super important topic. But without further ado, here is that conversation with Emma in full, kindly facilitated by ED's content editor, Matt Mace. So for this section of the podcast, we're going to be speaking to this episode's sponsors. Joining me via the wonderful wonderful world of virtual meetings is Inspired Energy's Client Optimization Manager, Emma Hurd. Emma, how are you today? I'm all right, thank you, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Um, as we were saying just before I press record, the, the weather's starting to turn a little bit. It's starting to get a bit colder and I obviously can't put my heating on in my house at the moment. Um, so, you know, I'll be save, saving on the bills, but... Uh, having to wrap up a bit warm uh, today, but in all in all, can't, can't complain. Um, we obviously had the Energy Data Optimization Masterclass quite recently. Um, yourself and your colleague, Daniel Crow kind of gave a 45 minute um, deep dive, I suppose, into how corporates can optimize their energy data, um, whether they're just starting out from the first step or, or are trying to get kind of better quality data and what that means on the road to, to net zero. How, how did you find, uh, that masterclass? Um, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. Um, It's really nice to be able to sort of talk about how businesses can improve even further on their sort of data and the data that they're collecting um, in order to be able to make the most of the opportunities that they've got, either through sort of the compliance schemes or just by wanting to understand the sort of energy usage in that bit more of a granular level. And and would you say was the key message that you kind of delivered during that masterclass that the audience hopefully took away and, and started to put place within their own their own uh, strategy? Um, I hope so. I hope they took away the key message. I mean, for ourselves, what we're trying to get across is that there is a massive opportunity for businesses to be able to get the maximum benefit from the data that they're collating on their energy usage, you know, whether that's even just getting started on collating it in the first instance, if they've never collected data before, or as I said sort of before, improving that granularity of the data available, which can sort of lead to a mass identification of reductions that they can achieve. And I think we had a, a lot of people in the audience that, that were taking their their first steps in this area. It's not to say they didn't they didn't you know they weren't collecting the data but they weren't really perhaps looking at it it was just maybe it's an automated process maybe it's just a kpi but they weren't really acting on it um in, in your opinion what are the kind of quick wins in in this area um in in terms to taking those first steps i think for data the biggest quick win is to get it onto a comprehensive sort of energy management or energy accounting system being able to see all of the data that you've got for company-wide consumption and emissions really 
gives you that opportunity to understand it that bit better and to be able to look at it in a more comprehensive way so that you can see which aspects of your business are using the most energy and which then are causing sort of the biggest carbon emissions, which obviously is, is a really big thing at the moment as well. And I've, I've come across, well, I mean, I haven't really come across them, but the, the types of businesses I speak to are usually the ones that are leading on carbon reduction and sustainability. They're quite proactive in this area and they will probably be doing a lot more in terms of uh, looking at their energy data to, to, you know, outline areas where they can improve efficiency, lower costs uh, as well. But for, for the other businesses that don't perhaps have the time or resources to really kind of put too much focus onto this, um, what's the, I suppose, rather than being a proactive, they're, they're more guided by regulation or, or reporting requirements. What's the, what's the emphasis for those that are a bit more risk adverse rather than proactive to, to act on energy data? Um, well, I think legislation wise uh esos back in 2014 2015 was a big thing in terms of getting businesses to identify their initial significant energy consumption and the fact that then there was four years between sort of phase one and phase two when businesses then had to look at their energy consumption again for 2019 i think took a lot of people by surprise and that 2019 um submission but then SECR bobbed along happily um, and then made it sort of that annual process. Um, and I have to say, I think the government did quite well in introducing it when they did, because people had already gone through that data collation for the ESOS phase two to get the data for the year surrounding that 31st of December 18 qualification date rather. And so collating it for their next financial year, sort of starting 2019 or 2020, it wasn't such a stranger um, to be approaching. Um, I, I want to say here, stranger danger, because you get scared. <laughs> you would you get scared of sort of the data that you need to um, collate, particularly if you've got a large estate. So I think SECR for businesses now has been a big driver, particularly for those who are, as you say, sort of more risk averse. Um, and aren't really interested in it, um, but giving them the opportunity to have to collate that data and then making it available in the public domain really has, has <laughs> surprised a lot of people, but made them look at it in a way that actually, if we have to do it as a mandatory thing, then you may as well make the most of it. And I think that's what businesses are coming around to more and more. No, I really like that. I've, I've heard the adage of uh, you you can't manage what you can't measure. But the stranger danger, a flip side of that's a really good point, actually. <laughs> uh, you can, yeah, if, if you're not aware of it, then it is all of a sudden a danger to your organisation. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, and I suppose the key word of, of SECR is the streamlined aspect of it. How how streamlined is it now and compared to, to kind of ESOS compliance? Is it easy for business? Because there was a lot of I suppose rumblings and grumblings that there was a lot of overlapping reporting requirements uh, in this area. How, has it really just made this just so much easier for businesses, or, or is there still a bit of refinery in your opinion? Um, I think for some businesses it has, because for ESOS it was any period that covered sort of the 31st of December 2018 um, for the reference period consumption data. And where a lot of businesses hadn't been looking at their consumption data for sort of the previous three or four years, 
it was a mad dash going, okay, well, we'll just do calendar year because it's easy. Um, but now you've got that cooperation element between your financial year and you can say, actually, just monitor everything. Monitor your invoices for your gas and electricity and sort of any of the financial side of things. And it's all the same reporting period, which I think really has streamlined it and will help for ESOS phase three as well. Something that we are sort of advocating is that if you are undertaking SECR, look at incorporating it into a longer term sort of thinking stream for your ESOS phase three compliance, because your ESOS phase three has to include the 31st of December 2022. All financial years are either going to include that somewhere in the middle or end on it, which means that you've already got that data set ready and waiting for usage in your ESOS compliance in 2023. So I think there's there's a lot to be said for combinations of compliance schemes. And it, I think that will help a lot of businesses streamline all of their compliance activities for the next three years. 2023 seems like a long way away, but <laughs> the rate this year is going, it'll be next week. Oh uh, yeah, it will, it will absolutely fly by. That's uh, no doubt about that. Um, compliance is um, a key word to this, and, and we're we're talking. We we've spoken. This discussion has been very much about compliance, and again, there's um, a risk that compliance is a bit of a tick box exercise. You do it because you you have to. Um, but as we shift to this net zero um, trajectory, there's going to surely be a, an emphasis on on energy managers and, and businesses to. To start looking at the data that they they have submitted and, and acting on it, where where does you know optimization of this energy data and acting on it fit in on this net zero trajectory that the UK is trying to push towards right now? Oh, um, well, it's sort of as you said before. I mean, it's an oldie but a goodie. You've got you can't manage what you can't measure at the end of the day, and so if you've got that initial set of data that you're able to look at, and maybe this year for sort of 1920 or 2020. It might not mean anything because you've got data that's not you've got no comparison to bar potentially your sort of ESOS reference period. Um, but as you get your data more and more optimized and you get the data collection sources as well um, optimized further, you've got the opportunity to be able to see where your reductions are possible um, from the increased understanding, I suppose, of where your consumption levels are and be that sort of your physical improvements to your portfolio so you know things like variable speed drives led lighting but then also how you can decrease your consumption even further on sort of as you say the route to net zero be that through sort of solar installations um or any other renewable opportunities that you might have um and ground source heat pumps and decarbonizing heat supply particularly um, within your portfolio being able to combine sort of the reductions that you can get from your physical portfolio improvement as well as the technology that's out there with the zero carbon element really will help businesses to sort of make use of that data to get the maximum reductions in that carbon that they're looking for as you say on the road to net zero 
Great stuff. And, and you spoke earlier, you know, 2023 is not that far away. Um, somehow we're we're almost through 2021. It obviously feels a bit of a blur because we've all been pretty much stuck indoors for, for most of it. But essentially that's that's one year down in what has been kind of mentioned by, you know, the UK government, a lot of businesses as a decade of, of kind of deliverance of real action on, on climate change. Um, and already we're, I mean, things are different. Don't think anyone anticipated it being like this. No one kind of foresaw um how you know how much the pandemic would change aspects but already we're we're seeing businesses start to view their their relationship with their facilities and the energy that uses changes and you've mentioned the kind of solar installations the technological advances that we'll see on the road to net zero in in this next decade how does that change the role of the uh the energy manager or, or the corporate in terms of you know whether that's through whether that is just the compliance that we spoke of or, or that much more proactive let's you know make our make our buildings as efficient as we can um i i would like to think that there will be that improvement from you know people seeing compliance as just that tick box we've done it don't need to do anything else um and people are becoming more proactive in terms of making sure that the buildings that they're building for a new portfolio are as close to net zero as humanly possible. Um, I, I think in terms of sort of that energy data optimization and data management side of things, I think energy managers will become a much bigger part of even sort of the C-suite um, of directors and that sort of thing. Uh, certainly CSR and ESG are becoming much bigger things within uh, companies house reporting um, and I'd like to think that um, with the improvements in technology particularly around metering and automation of consumption data and how that feeds into uh, an accounting system or a reporting system where reporting becomes the new normal that continuous data collation and review of that data should become the new normal as well. Um, I mean, sort of touching on compliance a little bit for your transport data side of things, a lot of businesses at the moment are going, oh my God, we've only got cost data for our expensed mileage for our SECR compliance. But a year or so, three or four years down the line, you might have businesses where they've completely changed how they record um, consumption data or mileage data and it might include sort of next year the engine size of the vehicle and then the year after it'll include the engine size of the vehicle and the fuel type and then the year after the engine size of the vehicle the fuel type and the sort of standard carbon emissions for that vehicle and it's just that ever improving regime I suppose if that might be the wrong word for your data collation that gives you that more granular approach hopefully will help in that sort of net zero goal achieval in sort of 2030, 2050. No, it's a good, good positive outlook there as well. Everyone needs a bit of positivity right about now. So um, that's, a, that's a good note to uh, end on. Um, and I'm, I'm wary I've, I've kept you too long from your house sitting duties uh, <laughs> already. So, so um, thank you for your time today. No, no problem. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. So thank you for having me. And yeah, and then of course, um, for those for those listening, that that masterclass that we mentioned on energy uh, data optimization that can be accessed via the ED website. Um, just search energy data masterclass; it will come up in the search bar. There's also the energy data 
optimization ed explains guide which is a, a bit of a mouthful but um uh, if you search the downloads tab on ed um and ed explains the drop down tab there click on that and it'll be one of the first ones uh, you'll do that will answer any kind of other questions uh, that you may have that um emma uh hasn't quite had time to answer in, in probably what's been cumulatively about an hour between now and the master class um so hopefully the this package of uh, options gives you uh, enough to to start making those inroads and, and start getting on that road to, to net zero through for energy use so do look out for that. Uh, I'm going to now hand back to um, Sarah uh, in the studio for the rest of this podcast. Many thanks once again to Emma for her time and her insight and once again a quick reminder to search through our downloads and webinars page for the other content in Inspired Energy's Masterclass series. Of course the Net Zero movement has been gathering pace far beyond the walls of ED, Nespresso and Inspired Energy and with that in mind, it's time for our Net Zero News in Brief. Over the past month, there have been some pretty big developments in the Net Zero conversation, even amid a global pandemic. So I'm going to pull out three of the top stories for you now. Firstly, I wanted to highlight the fact that HSBC has vowed to reach Net Zero across its own emissions and supply chains by 2030, and has set a 2050 deadline to ensure Net Zero financed emissions which it says it may bring forward if possible. The bank has been the target of many green campaign groups in recent years over its financing of fossil fuel companies and corporates linked to deforestation, so time will tell how it plans to tackle its financed emissions. Continuing on the finance theme, the BT Pension Scheme has promised it will reach net zero financed emissions within 15 years. The scheme is the UK's largest private pension scheme and it's joined the UN-convened Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance to help it meet the new target. And last but by no means least, a string of businesses, including Siemens and Tartar Chemicals Europe, have signalled their intention to back plans for a net zero industrial cluster in northwest England, featuring smart grids and hydrogen production, among other things. The government's industrial strategy has created something of a race to bring the first net zero industrial cluster online, with similar projects also underway in Teesside, Humberside, Southampton, Grangemouth and South Wales. Also, I wanted to take some time here to flag that the 2020 edition of our flagship event, Net Zero Live, is nearly here. It's going to be held virtually from November 10th through to November 12th. And we've announced some amazing speakers from organisations including the Committee on Climate Change, Inter-IKEA Group and Unilever. Whether you're interested in sponsoring or attending, you can find more information on netzerolive.com. But for now, we're just about out of time and I'd like to thank you all for joining me on our Net Zero Business podcast. If your organisation has a Net Zero story, please email me at newsdesk at fav-house.com and me or another member of the team will be back in touch with you. Also, our usual Sustainable Business Covered podcast will be returning in due course. In the meantime, you can subscribe to and follow the ED Podcast portfolio on SoundCloud, iTunes or Spotify. And for more Net Zero news, the ED website and newsletter will be your go-to. That's all I have for you this episode, so until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.